0: Here, there, and everywhere. SAFM 104.5 FM in Oat Bay.
1: And he joins us on the line now, Sam. Good evening from us on SAFM. Thank you very much for being able to speak to us tonight, and I hope you are well, sir.
0: Hey, tell me so. hey, I'm good, man. How are you doing? And good evening to your listeners as well.
1: No, we're fine, thanks. Just trying to stay safe. There's no other way.
0: <laughs> it's the only <laughs> way. Uh, the minimum uh, these days. Just stay safe.
1: Yeah, stay safe, stay out of travel. stay at home. But we're also watching the Paralympics. Have you been following the Paralympics, uh, Samkeh? And if so, what are your impressions so far?
0: Yeah, I have been following uh, the Paralympic Games. Uh, yeah so yeah so far my my impression is that i I seem to have underestimated the the impact that the pandemic has had on the athletes the the impact that the the you know the the well the president has been locking the country um and the mm-hmm. provinces so when it comes to that, I think I may have also underestimated the impact that it has on the athletes and i think some of that is now starting to, to show itself um, in some of the Paralympians in the same way that it did because, yeah, the lockdown regulations were also quite um, strict as we're well, building up to um, the Olympics and the Paralympics. So, hey, it, it's a bit rough. Mm-hmm. Um, we missed out on a number of medals today, mm-hmm. but uh, hoping that tomorrow is going to be a, a much better day.
1: So so when you say that, do you mean maybe it it, it, it... Are you talking about how it affected the preparations of the athletes both at the Olympics and at the Paralympics?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Look, um, you know, when I spoke to some of the athletes as well earlier on in the year when they were preparing for national championships, you know, some of them were detailing how they fell into a depression when the games were postponed. Mm. You know, so these these are things that we generally don't get to see or hear about when we just watch the Paralympics, Uh, you you look at Team South Africa and you're like, ah, but what's wrong with our guys this year? Why is it worse than the other year? There's there's these stories that we never really get to hear um, from the athletes. And, you know, I I think I was fortunate enough to speak to most of the team members that are there and, and get an understanding of what they've been going through and the hardships that they've been facing. But I was still hopeful that, you know, we would at least by now Uh, had a better result than, you know, no medal at this stage.
1: And actually, when we spoke to Androne, I think it was last year, actually, when the Games were postponed, and she was telling us that she's in a dilemma now because she she had thought that 2020 would be her last year of competing because she wanted to start a family. She wasn't sure if she was going to make it to Tokyo in 2021, and she had to have a conversation with her husband because they needed to start a family. But thankfully, she said the husband allowed her to give it one more go and go to the Paralympics in 2021, and after that, they can start a family. So it's those kind of challenges, eh?
0: Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, those types of challenges. And, you know, some of the athletes do this on a full-time basis. Mm. So now when they postpone the biggest gains, um in the world, what, what do you do for the rest of the year? What, what do you do when you don't even know that 2021 they won't be postponed or cancelled altogether? What do
1: you do with your life? Mm. So in, initially, where did you, or do you still expect the medals to come from?
0: Um you see, with track with and field, um, definitely I, I, I expected um, uh, a medal from, from Reynard Haman um, mm. this morning. Uh, but he, he came sixth. Uh, you know, he did say not, not really a good day in the office. Um, mm. Charles toyd who's a, a, a defending champion um, in the 100 meters, I, I also expected um, a, a medal from him. Uh, But then again, you know, Charles also battled quite a lot with with injuries and recently with with COVID as well. And he was quite open about it. And again, you see the effect of, you know, this pandemic, um, as I was saying earlier. So, yeah, I did expect something from from the track today. Uh, We were pretty close as well um, in the swimming pool uh, this afternoon. Uh, with with, uh, Christian Sadi, but unfortunately, yeah, I I don't think he finished as strong as he wanted
1: to. Even with an African record, eh?
0: Yes, yes. And, (laughs) you know, Tommy, so this is, um, um, it it just goes to show as well how how far maybe the rest of the world is advancing compared to, to South Africa, you know. While, while we sit in, in a lockdown where we are not allowed to move between provinces, people can't go to training camps, people can't go overseas. Uh, meanwhile, the rest of the world, you know, has got much easier lockdown um, regulations. They've got much better funding and, you know, they just perform better. They are producing new and younger vaccines at a much quicker rate than we can keep up as a uh, team South Africa.
1: Yeah. And we were also close in the women's uh, 200 metres T37 final. Cheryl James was fourth, also setting an African record, but still not good enough to, to medal. And it's also a different Paralympic Games, Samkelo, with all the challenges caused by COVID-19. Can you feel that by watching from home? Because obviously you wouldn't have experienced games like this, but can you feel watching from home that uh, it's not the same? Does it feel like it?
0: No, you uh, look... Watching from home, uh, the, the only different thing that you see is athletes wearing a mask when they walk off the uh, the, the track or mm. the, the competition stage. That's the only thing, you know. the The only thing that I know makes these games different is the conversations that I've had with the Olympians as well, and, and part of the the Olympic delegate, you know, that, that was there um, weeks ago mm. when they tell you that we are subjected to testing, you know, every day. Uh, when they tell you that even though there's a communal gym that is open to any country, no one really wants to go and use the facility because of COVID. Mm -hmm. And some countries with more money have installed gyms in their basements. Mm -hmm. You know, this is how then you get to understand things at the village, at the Olympic village, that it is a different Paralympic Games. People don't want to go out there and just interact with anybody because nobody wants to be at risk of not being able to compete. It's the things that we can't see, Tabiso.
1: That's true. And and how is the experience of being at the Paralympics, what we would call back in the day the normal Paralympic Games? How is that experience?
0: <laughs> yeah. No, the you know, the experience of normal Paralympics, um you know, my, my experience uh was, was particularly an an amazing one. Um I, I i had missed out on the beijing paralympics due to, mm. to injury so when i finally made it to the london paralympics uh when when you are alive uh, so but you are not sure if this is really you mm. uh because it all feels like a dream it all feels like it's it's not you living that you know but when you remember how long it took for you to get there uh you, you then start to take in every second of the moment while you are at the Paralympic Games and you know, just the sheer number of of athletes that are there, you know, it's the biggest gathering of persons with disabilities in the world at that particular time. So when you are a part of that, a part of history, you know, it's it's it is so rewarding, you know, and, and also being able to compete and win medals at the highest level of sport is truly, you know, um, a dream come true for a lot of athletes and it certainly was for me as well.
1: And some people, some people will say, the Paralympics play second fiddle to the Olympic Games. As somebody who's been at the Games, would you agree or disagree? And I'm talking when it comes to organisation, when it comes to reporting even from the media, how do you feel?
0: I would say there's a a certain level of truth uh, to that. Um, I mean, I was, I was watching, um, just today, you know, the, we had some South African athletes, uh, competing in, in archery and mm. uh, a few other events. But when you go to, for instance, uh, super sport, there, there, were, I think only two channels mm. that were showing Paralympics. When you look back three weeks ago, when it was Olympics, so many more channels were dedicated, um, for Olympic sport. I don't even know what SABC is showing. Um, for Paralympics, but they, they did do something for, for Olympics. Mm. So, yes, it's, it's definitely true. The, the level of interest, um, you know, from a media point of view as well, is it, much lower um, than it is when it comes to, to Olympics. And uh, it, it's, it's the unfortunate truth. Um, yeah. and, and it's not just Paralympics as well. When you think about able-bodied world championships, uh, versus um disabled championships, the the amount of airtime that they get um on, on television is certainly not the same.
1: Yeah. Even the national champs, having covered the national champs for, for ah, the physically disabled also the same, eh? Not enough coverage, <laughs> not enough coverage I mean for the Olympics there was even a studio panel there discussing the games and all of that, now all we see is just highlights, but anyway, let's go back to to, to London because you've touched on it for those who are joining us right now, we are speaking to a gold medalist at the 2012 London Paralympics, also took part at the World Champs and also at the Commonwealth Games, Samke Lohadebe is our guest tonight you're welcome to send us your voice notes to this number 61 if you have any questions or comments but let's go back to London 2012 uh, some girl, because you medaled at these games. In fact, you won gold, as I said, with the relay team. Firstly, where are you keeping that medal? Are you still? Do you still have it?
0: Of course, <laughs> um, of course. I, I I have the medal with me here at home, hidden, <laughs> you know, at a very secret location. That's good. Um, and yeah, I think maybe every now and again, I, I I would look at it and hold it, and just I, I still can't believe. How beautiful, how big, and how heavy it is compared to all my other medals. But yeah, it's uh, it's here in a very secret location, heavily guarded uh, as well.
1: And rightly so, because we've spoken to a number of athletes here who don't have their medals or their belts if it was in boxing, and some were stolen. I remember Llewellyn Habit, actually, when he was here, he was telling us that all his medals and trophies were stolen during a break-in at his house. So make sure that you keep it safe and guard it there like you're doing. But, but going into those London games, what were your expectations? Sure. Uh,
0: so my, my expectations uh, with, the, with the relay team were definitely to, to be on the podium. Um, I was also there for the hundred meters as well, yes. so I also had an expectation to medal because I was I was in good shape, I was running in very good time, and um, yeah, so that that was my expectation. But you know, it, it didn't really work out uh, the way that I, I had expected because uh, I think a few days before um, I started competing, I I pulled a hamstring, oh, and then. Yeah, and, and, you know, uh, I I knew that I only had at least one race in me uh, because, you know, with a hamstring injury, you need at least two weeks to recover from that. And I did not have two weeks. So fortunately, the the relay was the first event, which only required one race. um, And yeah, I I, I took part in that relay with the torn hamstring.
1: Mm. And you still won't go? I couldn't
0: go back. I couldn't. I could not sit there when I tell you already in 2008. I could not compete because of of injury. I was out for the rest of the year because of injury. And now that I was in London, I I pull a hamstring, and and now what? I must try again in four years. No, I I was stubborn enough to to continue.
1: And and did your teammates know that you had an injury? Yeah, they, no. Everyone was aware.
0: The, the medical staff as well was was aware. And and also, you know, they, they did, you know, make it clear that there is a substitute for the relay. Uh, you know, I shouldn't just think about myself as well because what if I cannot finish my part of the relay, then I've compromised the entire country, oh. you know. But I, I know the type of training that I have done. I, I know my my tolerance of pain as well. So I knew that I had one very good race in me and I was going to keep all of that in the relay. So, you know, then they were comfortable with the fact that I was comfortable.
1: And could you feel your hammy during the race? No. <laughs> Not at all? <laughs> uh,
0: I forgot. Yes, yes, I, I, yeah. I forgot. I can tell you, like, during the warm-up stage as well, uh, I was very delicate in, in how I was warming up. And I, I didn't want to play too much to aggravate the the injury, you know. So... When I was there and I was running, it was do or die for me. And, and when I finished that race, then when, you know, the adrenaline had gone <laughs> down, and then the pain came back and I was like, yay, I forgot I was injured.
1: And Just talk to us about the team that, 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 that you had, the rest of your teammates. Who were the rest of your teammates at those games? And were you a settled team? Had you practiced the relays before? Had you run the relays as a team before? Yeah,
0: so uh, part of the team, um, so I started the, the relay, mm-hmm. um, because I had the quickest start, um, you know, among all the team members. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then after me, uh, it was Vivan Smith, and mm-hmm. then after Zivan, it was Arnu and then Oscar Pistorias was then the anchor of yeah. the relay. So, we we have been running. It was our third year running um, as a relay team. Uh, although I think Zivan only joined us in London, but we, we did participate uh, in in 2010. We did world champion, got gold in 2011, and I think that's why also the expectation of gold at Paralympics was also created because we were the fastest in the world at um, uh, the the world championships in 2011 in Christchurch. Yeah, in hey, in Christchurch, Jeez. just before it got destroyed. Um, mm, with the fires. Yeah, hey, hey we were there, uh, and then within two weeks of, of world championships, there was a massive earthquake, and even the hotel where we're at was almost destroyed.
1: And, and ahead of the Games, I remember when we interviewed here, you, you in the country, you were saying that you were always talking about running with your idol Oscar Pretorius at the Olympic Games. How was that for you then? I mean, at the Paralympic Games, how was that for you? Yeah,
0: it, Tommy, so it, was, a, it was a big deal, you know. Um, and and it, it goes as far back as 2005 when, when I had my first conversation with uh, Oscar. And um, he had just come back from the, the, the glory that he had at the Athens Games in two thousand and four. And we just had a quick conversation and I was congratulating him on, on how how exceptionally well he did at the games and he said to me, Yeah, thank you very much. It means a lot to me. I've I've seen you run and I've seen that you are very fast as well. So if you if you work hard, you know, you can participate at the same stage as me. Mm. And For me, you know, when I was like, wow, you know, I look up to this guy, but this guy has even paid attention to me running. Mm. My goodness, you know, and and from there, you know, the the, the dream to be a Paralympian, you know, was really, really fueled. And when I then started running the relay with him um, in 2010, 2011, you know, I was just, I was there. I could feel that just one more year. And we can go and do this as a team at the Paralympic Games. And and when that happened, you know, I if, if you watch that video, you know, I, I you know some of my friends uh, made make fun of me, particularly uh, my boss, uh, who says, <laughs> "I can't believe you screamed like that and jumped on another man," you know, because
2: <laughs>
0: because for me it was like, my goodness, six years of this dream, and look at that. Look at us now, world record in a gold medal at the Paralympic Games. Mm. And the words that you said to me, you know, really had a big impact in my life. And even, even at the, the, the warm-up uh, track, just before the relay, mm. um, I, I had a false start while practicing my start, Ooh. you know, and, and everyone stepped away from me because they were like, whoa, whoa, this, this guy's here really injured. Now he's all starting, you know. <laughs> and Oscar was the one that that came to me and said, look, uh, calm down. You've worked hard for this moment. You need to enjoy this moment. You must embrace this moment, Samkelo. Let me tell you, here's my advice. Just listen to the gun, and as soon as the gun goes, you must just chase your shadow. Mm. And I know then at a later stage, one of the books that was written uh, about Oscar Pistorius uh, had a subtitle of Chasing Your Shadow because, you know, it was part of the advice he had given me to say, cancel out everything else that will stress you about starting this relay. Just listen to the gun. As soon as you hear it, chase your shadow.
1: And that's exactly what you did. (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh, that's exactly what happened. I I listened to that gun. You know, the, there were two false starts um, yeah. that that we had, and I knew it wasn't me. And then with the third one as well, uh, we got it right eventually. And yeah, as soon as that gun went off, I literally chased my shadow and I went after myself up until I could see I, I could see my teammate uh Ivan Smith. And I, I then handed over to him and he continued. And I continued running behind him, you know, just to encourage him to go even faster. And yeah, <laughs> hey, yeah, that, that race was, uh, I think, the biggest race of my life. <laughs>
1: Uh, we're actually rewatching the race right now as you talk, but we've got a, a clip for you here, Samkelo For those who are just joining us, we are speaking to a former Paralympian and now an admitted attorney. We're going to get to that part of his life also, uh, that is Samkelo Khadebe, who won gold at the 2012 London Paralympic Games in uh, the relay there with the likes of Oscar Pretorius and Zevon Smith. And let's play this this voice note.
3: Yeah, it's an honor to just say a couple of things on uh, on Sam, my boy. It's, um, you know, when I think about the times that we spent together, I have so many fond memories. Uh, uh, the times we competed together, um, especially 2011 at the World Championships, uh, when we ran the relay and also obviously the highlight in London. So, uh, yeah, when I think of Sam, uh, one of the highlights of my career actually pops up. So, uh, Sam, what a yeah, what a legend and you... Um, he, Sam always brought such a such an energy to the track, such an energy to the team. The fact that I think he made it so much easier for guys actually at times to deal with their disability because he's so comfortable with uh, uh, making jokes about his disability and uh, using his arm as a mic and interviewing people. So it's not only now that he's uh, interviewing people and in the, in the, the, it's like spending some of his time and like entertainment, uh, but it's it's been always a, a thing that's been part of uh, what Sam brought to the team. Um, where he was, there was also always energy, is always a laugh, and, you know, a hard athlete. Um, so we ran a couple of good hundred meters together, always a, a, a fierce competition when we ran against each other. Um, and uh, also now, afterwards, uh, Yeah, I mean, Sam has always been a big... Uh, is, uh, um, he's still now promoting Paralympics, but promoting the sport, promoting disabilities that are, as hard as he can in uh, um, either through media, through uh, whichever channels he can use. So, um, yeah, I know that about Sam, that uh, what the sport has given him, the opportunities that it's given him, that he's now giving back. Um, and uh, trying to create as many opportunities for younger athletes as he can. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, so uh, those are my, uh, just a few thoughts on uh, on Sam and all the fun memories that we share together. <laughs> okay, Sam. Cheers, man.
1: Okay, how was that? That is one of the teammates from the 2012 oh. London Games, and it sounds like he was also a rival there in the 100 meters, Sam Gelo. <laughs>
0: yeah uh, Avenue for e. oh my goodness ah wow yes i i did compete with with Asnu, um a number of times at at national championships and um you know i think it was quite special as well that the the races we we competed in because they would have a, a showcase event. So a showcase 100 meter event oh. where they get the fastest, um, you know, guys in one race. So the leg amputees, hand amputees, the visually impaired, and that's where I would get to compete with Anu. And yeah, um, yeah, now he's exposing me and all the crazy <laughs> things that I used to do. Uh, but yeah, when I think back, I do remember that, hey, I've, I suppose I've always been that person, hey? Um have to bring that energy and and that fun element into into a group
1: and we've got a caller on the line before i go to you tato let me mm-hmm. just announce this just break with tradition and men united have confirmed the return of cristiano ronaldo how's that okay back to uh, our conversation hey, wow. with Sir, are you a Man united fan um uh, men-, men, city oh sorry for you because <laughs> men, city were the favorites to sign cristiano ronaldo and then they pulled out of the deal and i believe sir alex ferguson then gave ronaldo a call and it didn't take long he is now back at men united scary time indeed wow. <laughs> yeah. wow. anyway let's go to tato uh tato good evening thank you for joining our conversation tonight oh uh, good evening how are you we're fine thanks to you tato Some is here
2: um, good. I'm
0: gonna got a very simple question, Sam. Between you and Oscar, hundred meters, who's your money on? <laughs> simple as that. Who would win? Oh yeah, let's hey. make it better. Since you're a Mexico supporter, between you and Oscar and Jesus,
1: who would win? Oh, <laughs> uh, wait. Who, who's the third person? Is it the Brazilian? Oh, the Brazilian. Goodness. Yes. Yeah. I say Holy Jesus. Christ.
0: Jesus. <laughs> who would win? Yeah. Yo, okay. So my, my question before I answer the question, are you talking about now or back in the days when we were all fast? In your prime, in your prime. Oscar from Yo. you prime, who would win? Uh my money's on you. I I, I would also go with, with me. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> I would I would also definitely go with, with me. Um you know, I I've always had a very, very good start, but the advantage with uh, double leg anti teeth is that they always have the strongest finish. Mm. But you know what? I yeah. would take them on any day and win.
1: Oh, okay. Lovely call,
0: thanks, no Tatu. <laughs> Thank and, you so much. Every lovely, every lovely <laughs> time. Eh?
1: And actually, going back to that race, as soon as Anu passes passes to um to Oscar, the Brazilians are coming closer. But the commentators are saying, "Ah, it's finished. It's over. Oscar will take us home. Will take South Africa home." Even though the Brazilians were closing in, eh? there was no doubt about Oscar at the time.
0: Yeah, you know, every every time I watch that race, uh, and and I usually open with that race when I do motivational talks, mm. and um. I, I I always say that, listen to what they say at the end. They say that Oscar Pistorius wins it for South Africa,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know. And when you think about it, there were three other guys <laughs> before Oscar. Mm. And then Oscar crosses the line. I mean, uh, 75% of the work was already done for him. Mm. And, you know, he does finish and win for South Africa, but that Brazilian. Yeah. Was closing yeah. in, and you could see if he had another 10 to 20 meters, he would have closed that gap. But yeah, this is why you know we have to have limitations on these distances. Yeah. And yeah, it, it does scare me sometimes, Tavisa, when I watch that race because I'm like, hey, I hope he doesn't catch up this time. <laughs> the Brazilian, <laughs> I know I still get nervous watching that. I know we're gonna win, I was there, you know, but <laughs> I, I still get so nervous at the start of that
1: race. Especially when you're chasing Zivan after you've handed you've handed mm-hmm. over to him, but you're still chasing and waving your arms I, there. I was shouting at Zivan. I was
0: shouting, I was pushing him and you know
1: <laughs>
0: Yeah, wow. my goodness.
1: And yeah, and do yeah. teams stay together? Are you still in touch with some of the guys from this team?
0: Uh no. Mm. I I you know, we 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 have not really had uh, much conversation. I've, I, I did speak to Anu some time uh, this year, uh, but but Zivan I follow on social media, and Oscar I I follow in the media.
1: And I know we we're focusing a lot on the Paralympics, London 2012. Firstly, did did that win change your life? Did it change the direction of your career, being a Paralympian and a gold medalist?
0: Yeah, it um, yo it, it changed my life. Uh, Let me say in in, in one of two ways. Um, The the, the first way that it changed my life was that it it was an affirmation for me that, you know, hard work does pay off. Um, It it was an affirmation for me that it is okay to dream and have big dreams because we can achieve them. When when I used to look at um, the guys running at Paralympics, I, I would say this is for them, but not for me. So when I was now one of them, I did believe that anything that you want can be for you too. There's no thing that is just for the privileged or just for white people or just for people in America. If you want it hard enough, it can also be for you. Nothing should stop you from pursuing that. So that changed my life because I became an even bigger believer to say that anything is possible, hard work does pay off. Um, the second part in which it changed my um, career as an athlete is that I, I have set myself uh, the, the the limit of uh, the London Paralympics to say that if I can do well at these games and not get a sponsor, I don't think I'll be able to continue with running.
1: Mm.
0: And unfortunately, even with the success that we've had uh, uh, or that we had at the Paralympics, I, I still could not uh, secure a sponsor. So mm-hmm. that then led to a decision of me retiring at age 23 because uh, who, who was going to fund uh, my athletic career? You know, I, I also had an opportunity to do articles at a law firm and sent in Santin. So if a sponsor couldn't come forward and offer me money to sustain my life, it also wouldn't make sense for me to work a full-time job, use my salary to fund myself to run for South Africa when South Africa doesn't pay me.
1: Mm. So you had to make a decision.
0: So I I had to make a decision, but I was happy that I did get to the Paralympic Games, which is the highest level in sport. And I got a gold medal. I broke a world record while I was there. What, What more do I need to prove to myself? But... You know, the next part of my life, uh, unfortunately, requires money, Uh, money which I don't earn. You know, Mm. listening to the clip that you opened with, uh, there's an incentive Mm. that the minister is talking about. But the very problem with this incentive is that it comes once every four years. Mm. It is not guaranteed. You only get it if you get a medal. Mm. You cannot plan anything in your life. With an incentive that you might get. So, yeah.
2: So, how are the support
1: structures then for the Paralympians? Because we know that um, with the Olympians, they've got this Operation Excellence OPEX that they call, and there's funding that's given to the elite athletes, those that are expected to medal at games.
0: Um, I don't know if you want me to tell you the truth or just be nice about your answer.
1: The truth will set um, you free. <clears throat> Yes. Set us all but, free. <laughs> the,
0: yeah, don't, don't, don't be fooled by OPEX or Operation Excellence. I don't even know if that program still exists,
1: by mm. the way. It didn't, um, it didn't for these games, actually. It didn't for this. Yeah, games no. Actually. I think the last time that uh, a lot of the athletes
0: got paid was 2019. Yes. So, anyway, Operation Excellence paid for expenses, it didn't pay you a salary. Mm-hmm. It, it was like a reimbursement program where they would give you, uh, let's say, uh, let's say they give you ten thousand rand. Mm-hmm. You go and you spend that money, and then you come back with receipts showing I spent this money on on food, physio, and whatnot. And then they reimburse you again. Mm-hmm. They would pay for accommodation, flights, and whatnot for you to be able to compete. But it was not income. Mm-hmm. So, yet we can call it support, but it's just it's not income. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, they, they they might be such structures in place, but um, yeah, it's, it's just not it's not enough when you think about how the Australians, Americans, and the, and the British, you know, they put millions per athlete mm. building up to Olympics and Paralympics, and in South Africa we are like, yeah, we'll, we'll refund you for your airtime and, and the bread that you buy. Uh, look, I mean, I, they do much more than that, but it's just, you know, I just feel like we are so behind when it comes to the level of support that we offer the Olympians and the Paralympians that a lot of the times it just shows itself when we are there competing at that stage.
1: And sometimes it takes so long to claim your, the money that you've used and to claim it back. I know Sunetful Fulun has told stories of how long it takes to get the money back. But anyway, before we move to the rest of your of, of to, to to life after retirement, Samkelo, I just want to go back to 2011 World Champs. Some people, when they look back at those 2011 IPC World Champs, they reckon that was the biggest moment for you. Do you agree? And if so, why is that?
0: Uh... Yo. <laughs> I don't know if that was the big... I, I think um, my biggest moment was the Commonwealth Games um, in Delhi in, in, Delhi in, in 2010. Mm. Uh, it was an individual event mm. uh, and it was also the only major championship that I attended without any kind of injury. Uh-huh. So I was there in my best condition and I had no, no injury whatsoever. Uh, and I got a silver medal in the individual event. In the, um, the Yeah, the, the IPC World Champs in 2011 were horrible for me because I, I had a very, very terrible year mm-hmm. uh, leading to those games. So, you know, I, I, was just, I was just there. I was like in the last year, you <laughs> know, and, and it was in January as well. I had a, you know, I had a very hectic year. Uh, academically uh, in in 20 in 2010 mm. you know I, I spent a lot of time going overseas competing and doing camps that i didn't do well in my studies at the end of 2010 mm. so i was stressed i was stressed i was busy doing motivations to the faculty of law to say that i did not fail my year because i'm an idiot i just for a moment forgot that i'm also a student not just an athlete you know, so I went to those world championships, not even knowing if I'd be able to continue with my with my degree. Mm. So mm-hmm. yeah, no, not, not really the best um, international, but I think Delhi was was the one for me. It was a turning point after Yeah.
1: And, and you talk about your studies now, and we want to talk about your studies, but let's go back firstly. Um, we, we know that you had an accident, but before that accident, you were very young, but were you into sport as a youngster, were you an active youngster, just like everybody else?
0: Yeah, uh, very active and very brave as well. <laughs> um, I, I started my running in grade one mm. uh, as a sprinter. I was fast at that age as well, and yeah. I have always been in sports and playing soccer as well, uh, like most kids in the township.
1: Mm. And just take us through what happened and how you lost basically the lower parts of your arms.
0: Yeah, so I I got electrocuted in 1998, uh, playing with my brother and a couple of friends. And, you know, we we, we took wires from burnt tires and we're throwing those wires over electric cables. And, you know, my my coiled wires got stuck on the electric cables, and when I pulled them down, I got electrocuted on the spot um, by 11,000 volts of electricity. And then, yeah, then I was hospitalized for, for nine months. Uh, while I was in hospital, they, they had to amputate my hands because they, they were so damaged, you know, they, they were ruined. Mm-hmm. But not just that as well. They were just posing a risk of, of infection as well, which was now a life-threatening situation, and I had just survived 11,000 volts of electricity, Mm. and now my my own hands were going to kill me. So yeah, they they amputated them, and then as soon as I got out of that hospital, I was out there back running and playing soccer, uh, being as normal as I could be. (laughs)
1: Like nothing had happened, and at that age, I mean, some kids wouldn't understand what happened to you or how it happened to you. How did your friends react after your accident?
0: Uh, Some were idiotic about it. Some were as mature as a kid who's 9 or 10 years old could be. Uh, One of the guys that was with me when I got electrocuted, he screamed, he cried, he said I was a ghost because he saw me die. Mm. Um, And then the other ones were like, yeah, but when we play soccer with you, we can't really tackle you because we're going to hurt you. If you fall, you can't balance, so we don't want to play soccer with you and I continued playing soccer, and then I started kicking them, and then they realized that, <laughs> no, that's this guy, this guy, no, we're going to kick him back.
3: Uh,
1: so you tried and to continue with life as normal as possible. How was school? School school was okay.
0: So I, I, went, I went back into a, a disabled school. Mm. Um, so when I got there, I realized that there were people who were much, much worse than me. So immediately fitting in was not even a problem for me because I thought I had problems until I saw other people's disabilities. And I was like, yo, I, no, let, me, let me not even complain here. So school was normal. School was brilliant because once again, I had brought, you know, the heart and the talent that I always had. Mm-hmm. And everything that I competed in, I always excelled because, you know, I always gave it 110%.
1: Wonderful. And I'm sure you get asked this question a hundred or a million times about what happened to you. How do you feel about it when you get asked this question?
0: Um, sure. So for the last 23 years, yeah, I don't know how many times I've, I've been asked that question by kids and adults. Mm. But I, I answer the question. I'm, I'm happy to answer the question because, you know, it, it, I don't know what impact it's going to have on the person who's asking the question. It could be a life-changing moment for them, and I I could deprive them of that moment by just, I don't know, being angry. Or So uh, anyone, whether it's a kid or an adult, I answer, I indulge them, I give them my time, I explain things, and some of them cry in front of me, and then then I regret it when they cry because I'm like, hey, I don't even have tissue for you. Now I don't know (laughs) what to do. Should I even hug you? Should I, can I give you a hug? you know, so I always indulge any person that wants to know what, what happened to me. Okay. It's for their benefit anyway, not
1: mine. Yeah. Let's take a voice note. <laughs> Good evening, Tabiso. I just love the the way you're um, giving Usam uh, the opportunity of expressing himself as an athlete
0: because he actually represents all of us, able, able, and differently abled people. Um, because it's very difficult to be an athlete in South Africa, uh, especially if you're not going to be doing uh, rugby or soccer. Um, it's very difficult. The the government does minimal to help you even achieve that goal. Let's say you have one setback, like a setback of being overweight or a setback of um, being injured. The chances of you bouncing back and and getting into sports again
1: it's 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 very it's very slim okay thanks for that and um yeah thanks for that message i understand we understand exactly what you're saying i want to go to the lines firstly but kelo i mentioned at the top of the do you want to respond to that voice note firstly
0: yeah um it's a it's a very um um good point um that the 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 listener is making there and, and I mean, even at my point of retirement as well, when I retired, I, I, I was injured a few days before world Championship, And when I asked for assistance to pay for my physio, they said, no, I'm not on the OPEX program. So I had to pay for my own physio. So I know exactly what that feels like.
1: And then I mentioned at the top of the show that you you had a sports show here on SABC Sport. And I remember hearing you, I'm not sure which interview it was, but you were very keen on being in the media space. How was that experience for you?
0: It's been amazing. Uh, Well, it's both amazing and obviously very disappointing at the end. Mm. But it's been an amazing experience because I always complained about how, you know, the the coverage for Paralympic sports is so poor. Uh, I always wished that somebody could do something about it when I was an athlete when I was running, I was like but where's where's the cameras where's the newspapers there's there's people competing at world championships? Why is it not on t v So when I then got the opportunity to then be the voice, if we can call it that of disability sport, you know mm. i i I grabbed it with both my imaginary hands and I was like, This is an opportunity that I will take. I will embrace, and I will speak. Uh, for, for our athletes and, you know, tell their stories because, you know, when you interview me, it's you telling my story, but I can now be in that position where I can also tell their stories and ask any uncomfortable question, but it's a good platform. And we did a, a good build-up as well to Paralympic Games, and then, and then the show just ended abruptly. Nice. So that's the disappointing part, uh, to, to build up to Games and then cancel the show on the year of the Games.
1: Yeah, and we wanted to reunite you here with your co-host of that show, Shamponizer. Are you there, Shamponizer? Good evening.
2: Hey, Samuel <laughs> <girl a> Fan. <laughs> 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 hey.
1: Uh, is this how he is was treating you? you?
2: you? <laughs> is that you clapping hands
1: in there? <laughs> no man, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> oh okay <laughs> it must have been tough sam working with this guy yeah you
2: know why i started with that show? Yes. i'm just trying to show everyone including you that uh when i started this show i was a little bit like uh scared of talking about uh disabled people i was walking on edge you know mm. and Kelo kind of made me feel so comfortable and made me aware that disabled people are not really. They're not sad. They are living their best lives. It's just us who actually go there and just be all sensitive and everything. So, mm. just like us, some yellow The only thing that's missing in some girl's body is just fingers. Mm. He's smart. He's actually more educated than I am, and he just happened not to have fingers. So mm. he taught me a lot. Even on that show as a comedian, I I, I was kind of humbled and. I took a, a you know, a student seat and sat down and learned and learned from him and, and learned how to deal with disabled people and I realized that some of the things that are funny, they are just funny. They laugh at themselves and they even know too much if you allow them. So <laughs> that man is he was my teacher for all the time that we were doing uh beyond boundaries.
1: I wonder if he's got nice things to say about you too, Championizer. Do you do, you do ah, something?
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, of course, I, I, I do. Look, uh, yeah, you might think it's hard working with Dusham. You no, know? it was a pleasure uh, working with Tibbs. With and again, he, he has been uh, uh, on TV for quite a lot. So there's a lot as well that I was learning from, from him. And, you know, we worked together so well. And and actually, Tibbs, I wanted to drop you a message and say, our games are on, and we are not even presenting them. But nevertheless, we are not in control of that. But every time I'm watching, I'm thinking of what we should be doing because we built up to the very moment that is happening now. We built up to this moment. But, yeah, what can we say?
1: Yeah, let's hope you'll be re- reunited with Shampoo Niza. Shampoo we're going to give you your own show because you deserve your own show. You might just take over here. So we want to say...
2: <laughs> one, want so to tell you like one funny story? Yes, please. It? It's a Friday. Uh, you, you know, some girl doesn't have hands.
3: Yeah.
2: You know, this one once took me from from uh, Ellis Park Stadium, hmm. and he took me to the ABCs, and he was the one driving. Ah! And his car has came. Oh ah! This dude was flying, bruh, flying. I, I can, I can. I can even go through my phone right now and ask people to go on on, on my Instagram or girl's Instagram. I'm going to post a video. I was in the car with him. He was driving. One fourth, Ford, Sorry, <laughs> Metropolis people are listening. One fourth. He's a that's flyer. The day I feel like I died and woke up. He's a flyer on and, and off and the track, I, Samkelo. And we were playing gospel just for me. It was like, <laughs> if you go, then at least... What is there?
1: Perfume you're playing loon in perfume. Yeah. So,
2: so, but that's how much I trust him. You know, he drives. Wonderful. Some girl's car is not. It's not. They didn't do anything to his car. It's not like you know. What? what it's not modified. Not
1: guy? modified. No,
2: it's not modified at all. It's a normal car. He drives like a normal person. So that guy, I think the only disability some guy he has has is, is in his wallet. He just doesn't have a million yet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's a great story to share, though, Shamponaizer. Thank you very much uh, for sharing that. That's a wonderful story. i am actually reminded of Lucas Sitole, who was spinning cars also in Pretoria, and his BM, the former wheelchair tennis player. But Samkelo, we've spoken so much. I mean, we didn't even touch on you being an admitted attorney now. How has that journey been, and now what do you hope to achieve in this new field now? Ah, uh,
0: that's that's been yeah, that, it's been good. Uh, it's been it's been very satisfying. It's been. Um, Uh, I suppose reassuring because like I was saying that when when you come out of a career that does not pay, where you give your soul, your heart, your everything into it, but it just does not pay, you know? So now being an adult who is able to now plan and live a life and and look after, you know, your own family, uh, it's a good feeling, you know? Uh, Yeah. Look, I I think uh, I, I, I stand a better chance of making a big impact in the world as, as Samkelo, the speaker, the presenter, the former Paralympian, than an attorney. Mm. So it's really more about making more of an impact in the world um, through everything else that I've achieved, not necessarily as an attorney.
1: Well, I, I, we still believe you'll make a lot of impact. You've made a lot of impact al- already. People will never forget you, what you did, how you've made them feel, and that's why we thought we should bring you on here today and highlight what you have done. And most importantly, some just give you the respect that you deserve. You've been great. You've been a great ambassador for the sport, for sport, for the physically disabled. And we hope that you are back on TV very soon because you have that passion for
0: broadcasting.